You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Have you ever become associated with some episode from your past, so much so that when people see you, they only think about that thing that you did? It might be so, might be positive or negative. Uh, it might be that it was something that you accomplished. It might be that there was that crazy thing, that crazy stunt you pulled in high school. And whenever you see friends from those days, they're like, remember that time? And you're like, that wasn't the only thing I did in high school, but that's all you ever talk about. And sometimes we can kind of get so associated with some event, some accomplishment or some mistake even, that it's all we feel like people really know about us. Jesus is speaking to uh, the disciples here, and he's in his farewell discourse. I like how Pastor Eric put it last week, the see you later discourse, because Jesus is going to raise from the dead and come back. Uh, But he's telling them that they're going to remain connected through the work of the Spirit. And so chapter 14 to chapter 17, Jesus is introducing us to the Holy Spirit, and he gives us this deep, robust, broad coverage of who the Holy Spirit is and His essence and His nature. And what's interesting, if you take the time to read all of those chapters, a lot of what people think of when they think of the Holy Spirit is not here. Let me try to explain what I'm saying. Several years ago, maybe 10 years ago, someone called the church, this woman called the church, and she wanted to ask some questions before she came to visit us in a worship service because she wanted to get an idea of what kind of church we were. And the first question that she wanted to ask was, do you guys believe in the Holy Spirit? And I had a feeling I knew where this was going, but I said, yeah, absolutely, we believe in the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Trinity. He's equal in essence and power and divinity with God the Father and God the Son. And I kind of gave that theological response. And she's like, no, that's not what I mean. What I mean is, do you believe the Holy Spirit still does stuff? And I said, and I know where this is going, but I said, yeah, we believe that the Holy Spirit still does stuff. He's working in people's lives. He draws them closer to himself. He convicts them of sin. He helps people understand the truth. And she was a little exasperated. She said, what I mean is, do you guys speak in tongues in your church? I said, no, we don't do that. But we do believe in the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, many times for people, the The practice of speaking in tongues or some other signifying gift that we read about happening in the early church, that that is equated with believing in the Holy Spirit. And that if a church has those things happening in its worship service, then then it is a Spirit-filled church. But what I hope you see in the passage today is that that is a very limited view of who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. It would be like just thinking of a person by one thing that happened years ago. The Spirit has a more broad work. And so when Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit to the disciples, He doesn't talk about those things, but He talks about the work that the Holy Spirit will do and the purpose for His work and how He'll accomplish it in us. And so I hope that we'll kind of unravel those false ideas that we have about the Holy Spirit, equating it with just those aspects of His nature or His ability and see that there is so much more to the work of the Holy Spirit than that. We're going to pick up kind of right where Pastor Eric left off last week and read some verses towards the end of chapter 15 and get into chapter 16. So look at 
1515 with me. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And that's just a beautiful moment where Jesus says to the disciples, you're not servants. You are serving in the kingdom and the work of the Lord, but you're more than servants, you're friends. Because everything about the Father that I know, I'm revealing to you, I'm making it plain to you. You're not on the outside looking in. You're a part of what it is that I am doing. But then Jesus talks about things are going to be difficult in the coming days. So look at verse 18. If the world hate you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. He's saying that life is going to be difficult. And just as they have opposed me and persecuted me, and this was about to ramp up as Jesus is about to be arrested and tried for things that he had not done and executed, he's saying if they'll do these things to me, they will do these things to you. And by the way, if you find yourself just constantly trying to make everybody happy, take comfort in the fact that not even Jesus could make everybody happy. And if Jesus couldn't make everybody happy, you aren't going to make everybody at your work happy or everybody in your family happy. I mean, Jesus couldn't do it. So don't hold yourself to a standard that he can't meet. So life is going to be hard, and if they're going to oppose the master, they'll oppose his followers and his servants too. But Jesus says, don't worry. I'm sending you help. So look at verses 26 and 27. But when the comforter has come, and when we see that word comforter, perhaps you think of that nice soft blanket that goes on the top of your bed that's just so warm and comfy on these fall days that makes you feel like, I don't want to get up. I can sleep in, right? It's that comfort. But the idea that the scriptures use for comfort, it's a comfort that God brings through help. It's a comfort that God brings by coming alongside of us. He's an advocate with us. Elsewhere, it talks about a counselor, but it's not just someone who's like a therapist, but one who stands before us and gives us legal counsel before a judge. And so he's a comforter, but he brings us comfort by doing something for us and with us and helping us. So what is this helping? When the comforter is come, whom I will send from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify... Of me. He's going to testify to who I am. He's going to speak of me. One of the greatest things that God can do to bring us comfort is help us understand who Jesus is more. That's what the Spirit is going to do. He's going to testify of Jesus is. He's going to testify of Jesus to us. He's going to testify of Jesus to others. Verse 27, And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. He says, You are going to be my messengers that go and tell others. But then Jesus gets detailed in the beginning of chapter 16. Detailed about the opposition they're going to face. Verse 1, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be offended. I'm trying to prepare you for what's going to happen. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doth God service. This is hard for the disciples to hear. Now, when you hear being kicked out of the synagogue, it might not seem like it's as big of a deal to you because you didn't grow up going to synagogue. 
Synagogue wasn't the place where you made your first friends and where you met your spouse. But for the disciples, that's where the center of life was for a Jew. And even for a Jew who moved away from Israel into some far-flung foreign city, when there were 10 Jewish families, they would band together and form a synagogue so they would have kind of this Jewish cultural community center even in a far-off place. And in the countryside of the people who were farmers out in the, the regions outside of Jerusalem, they would have synagogues, places where they could come together and teach their children. It was like church for them. And the disciples are going to be thrown out of it. This would have been hard to hear. It wasn't a place that they went out of necessity. It was a place that they went out of connection and longing and desire to be with people that they cared about and see family members that they only got to see on Sabbath day. Connect with the people in their community. To be thrown out of the synagogue, that would be hard. You know, if you told me, hey, uh, Pastor Dan, I've got some bad news. They didn't like the way you acted in Walmart this past week, so you're never allowed to go back. I'd be like, cool, all right, <laughs> thank you. Because if I'm in Walmart, it's not because I want to be in Walmart, right? I'm at Walmart because there's something that I need, and I need to go to Walmart to get that thing. Something has gone awry. That's the reason I'm there. And if they were like, you can't go back to Walmart, I would be like, okay, all right. It would not disappoint me. It's not a place that I go out of desire or out of pleasure. It's not a place I go to connect with friends, even though I see most of you there. It's a place I go out of necessity. The synagogue was not a place of necessity. It was a place that they went out of desire. And Jesus says, you'll be thrown out of the synagogues. And then it goes even deeper. It says, and the time is coming that people who kill you will think they're doing God's work. And that's hard. There's going to be a moment where people who throw you out of synagogues, they would think that doing God's work would look like killing you. So when Jesus says the world will hate you, they're not talking about saying mean things. They're not saying disagreeing with you. They're talking about real opposition. Why would this happen? Jesus answers that in verse 3. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father, nor me. Why would this happen? It would happen because people didn't know Jesus. They would turn on them because they didn't know the Father through His Son. And can I tell you that this is actually just kind of the, the, the bare minimum, boil it down to the, the, the bottom denominator. This is the problem with the world. The issues that we have in our society today are not societal problems. The issues that we have in our culture today are not cultural issues. The issue that we have in our world today is not just hatred and animosity and bias and racism. Those are all problems. But if you boil them down to the, the bottom denominator, the thing that is the, the, the base level, where it all comes from, it's this. That people don't know Jesus. We don't have societal problems. We have a theological problem. We don't know God through His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, people who want to try and fix the world, they say, man, there are these problems, there are these things, and somebody needs to do something about this, and they, they go to work, and they try to fix things, and they go, well, you know what? Actually, the problem is before this. It's kind of upstream. It, we can't even get anything right here because the water that's flowing from up there is bad. So let's go up here, and let's, let's work on that, and we'll get that straight. But then they realize the water here is bad because wherever it's coming from, it's being poisoned, and they go further and further and further upstream. And if you keep going upstream what you find is that we are alienated from God. We don't know God. 
And the reason that there's persecution and the reason there's war and there's opposition, the reason that there are problems in your marriage, the reason that there are problems between you and your children is because we don't know Jesus. And I know that might sound simplistic, but every problem in the world could be solved by just being more like Jesus. So Jesus says, this is the reason that they will do these things unto me. And John would write a letter later, 1 John 3.14, he says, do not be surprised that the world hates you. Don't be surprised. They don't know the Father. They're not going to understand you. And there are things that we do that the world just doesn't get. It doesn't make any sense to them. It doesn't make any sense to them that you are here this morning instead of in your yard picking up all those leaves that the wind blew down last night. It doesn't make any sense to them. So Jesus says, but don't worry. I'm sending the Spirit because He is going to help. He's going to bring help, and this help will be of comfort to you. So a world full of hate and animosity, Jesus sends the Spirit so that people could come to know the Son. Because when they are convinced of the truth of the Son, that will change everything. Jesus sends the Spirit to help us, and He helps us by introducing others to Jesus. So that being said, Jesus gives a full layout here of what it is that the Spirit will do. Look at verses 7 to 14 with me. Nevertheless, it's a good like, all right, all that being said, here's what needs to happen now. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient or better for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe on me. Of righteousness, because I go to the Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and I shall show it. Unto you. What is it that the Spirit will do? The Spirit will testify and point to God the Father through God the Son. That's what He'll do. And Jesus even gave us a little glimpse of this in the end of 15, where He says, He will testify of me. And here again, He says, He will give you everything that He has received. There's nothing the Spirit is going to hold back. There's nothing that the Spirit is going to come to know about the Father and the Son that He's going to say, I don't think I'm going to share that. I'm going to, I'm going to hold that back for myself. No, He will share it, and He will share it through testifying. And so what is someone who testifies? What is someone who's a witness? A witness is someone who gives an account of what happened. They speak to what they saw at the accident or the crime. They cover the evidence as they have reviewed it. And so a witness has authority because they were there. Now, right now, we live in a world of a lot of opinions. And we have elevated the level of opinion higher than it's ever been before. Somebody has an opinion. Well, wow, we need to respect that. They don't know anything about it, but they have an opinion about it. The Holy Spirit does not have an opinion about God. He has testimony about God. What's the difference? He is God. He has come from heaven, from the Father. He speaks of that which He knows of. We're getting it straight from the horse's mouth. We're getting it straight from God Himself. 
He is telling us about Jesus. He's telling us about God. He's telling us about the truth of Scripture. He knows it, and he can speak to it. So let's imagine that this is, this is a courtroom drama, right? And in the courtroom drama, they, they call the star witness to the stand, and the witness who saw everything and is going to lay out all the details comes to the stand, and the lawyer just asks questions to give the star witness an opportunity to make his case. That's all we do. This morning, as I preach to you, that's all I can really do is just give opportunities and moments for the Holy Spirit to speak what is true. When I, when I send someone a text message or I send them a postcard inviting them to church, when I reach out to them on Facebook, when someone who hasn't been at church in a while, they haven't been here since Easter, and I reach out to them, I'm hopefully just giving them a reminder, an opening that the Spirit can then give them truth and remind them of things that they need to be thinking about. You see, the Spirit is the one who has the truth. And if I'm up here just talking and the Spirit isn't speaking, that's not going to be very convincing. But when the Spirit speaks to our hearts and minds, and it resonates with what we know to be true within ourselves, when I speak the Word of God and it resonates with some some struggle that you're having, the Spirit connects it to some issue that you are currently going through, there's this convincing that takes place. Because the Spirit speaks with authority. So a witness is someone who sees what happened and they're able to speak up. And a witness is someone who speaks up. They don't see what happened and then just say nothing. And since the Spirit arrived, He has been speaking to men and women about their sin, about Jesus. He continues to speak and He has constantly been speaking. What happens though is we go through periods where we don't listen to what he has to say. The Spirit has never stopped speaking. And so the Spirit testifies. And then in verse 8, the Spirit convicts or reproves the world of sin. The Spirit helps us see our sin. You see, sin not only corrupts our record, sin corrupts our ability to judge. you and I are unable to judge accurately the scope of our sin because sin has affected even our ability to judge. You want to see this in action? How easy is it for you to judge someone else? Super easy, right? It's so easy to judge someone else. How easy is it to judge yourself? Not easy. We're always giving ourselves a pass, right? Our ability to judge is corrupted, it's skewed, it's biased towards us. We always see our sin as minimal and we see the mistakes and failures of others to be large because our ability to judge is corrupted. And what the Holy Spirit does is He reproves us of our sin. He helps us to see our sin as it is. He helps us to right-size our sin in our minds. I like the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrased verses 8 to 11. He said it this way, when the Spirit comes, He'll expose the error of the godless world's view of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He'll show them that their refusal to believe in me is their basic sin, that righteousness comes from above where I am with the Father, out of their sight and control, and that judgment takes place as the ruler of this godless world is brought to trial and convicted. He helps us see in reality what our sin is. The greatest work of the Spirit is convicting us of our own sin. 
That's the true test of a spirit-filled church, is our people convicted of their sin. I've got a faulty gauge on my truck. It, the gauge is broken, and so what it records is not accurate. And so occasionally when you're driving my truck, all of these alarms and chimes and lights will go off, and you're like, the truck is going to blow up. It's, it's in awful shape. And the first time this happened, I pulled over to the side of the road, and I popped the hood, and I checked the oil, and I checked everything. Everything was fine. And I realized, okay, the gauge is bad. And now whenever I flip my keys to someone, they're going to drive my truck, I've got to give them a warning. Hey, listen, if all of the sirens and all of the alarms go off, it's okay. The truck isn't melting into the ground. It's just a bad gauge. We have the opposite problem. Our gauge is broken, and it gives us no alarm. We are melting down. Sin has corrupted our soul. It is like a corrosive on our hearts, and we drive along saying, everything's fine. I'm fine. There's nothing wrong. But the Holy Spirit helps us to see that we are not fine. The Holy Spirit helps us to see that there is this sin that must be dealt with. And it's frustrating that this work of the Spirit, which is so fundamental and so important, that it's kind of off of our radar as the work of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. And a Spirit-filled church will be a church where people see their sin for what it is, as corrosive to our hearts, as separation from God. That's a Spirit-filled church. A church that we are convicted of our own sin that we recognize that we're not as well as we thought. And so if the Spirit testifies to who Jesus is, and the Spirit convinces us of our own sin, there's an obvious realization of those two truths. Jesus is good, and I am not. Jesus is holy, and I am not. Jesus is helpful, and I need That's what the Spirit wants to bring about in our hearts and minds, this recognition that Jesus is good, and we need that goodness. We need that help. And I know that we come to church sometimes hoping that Jesus is going to show other people how bad they are, hoping that He's going to finally straighten out our spouse, straighten out our kid. But what the Spirit wants to do this morning is He wants to straighten you out. He wants to convince you of your sin. Help you see your need. And when you recognize your need and you see how good Jesus is, you can put your trust in Him that He meets your need. When Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples, what He's about to do is submit to being arrested. He's going to submit to a trial that was a mockery. He's going to take charges that are not accurate. And then he's going to lay down his life for us. He could have refuted any of their accusations. He could have thrown off any of their advances. He could have broken asunder any chains that they put on him. He could have come off the cross at any moment. But he goes to the cross. He goes through the trial. He goes through the beating. He submits himself to death so that he can take the brokenness that we have and give us the righteousness that we need. That's what he did. 
He bridged the gap between His goodness and our brokenness. He took our sin and gave us His righteousness. And the Spirit is here to show us how much we needed Him to do that. But then there is another step. There's another work. Look at verse 13. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. And He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me. For He shall receive of Mine. And shall, shall show it unto you. Jesus had already told the disciples that the Holy Spirit was going to remind them of truth to help them remember the truth that they had already heard and learned. Here he says that the Spirit is going to lead you into all truth. And what's he saying? We know that he's not saying that he's going to reveal some truth to carry, and he's going to reveal some truth to Ben, and he's going to reveal some truth to Greg, because Scripture is no private interpretation. It's something that he's revealing to all of us. So specifically, he reveals truth to the disciples and these that would write down the words of Jesus in the Scripture so that we could study it. But then also, he gives us the truth of Jesus, constantly pointing at Jesus, at the truth of Jesus, the truth of the gospel that Jesus made possible for us. And then as we've accepted that, he leads us into further and further application of that truth. Because while the gospel is a truth that we might come to know at the beginning of our relationship with Jesus, the application of that truth is something that we mine and dive deeper into for the rest of our lives. Because the gospel has ramification in our lives that goes on until we meet him. Think about it this way. Imagine that you receive a phone call that someone that you care about, a cousin, someone who's related to you is very sick and they're in the hospital. And there would be the initial shock of finding out that news and being sad, but then there would all be all of these moments in the coming hour and throughout the rest of the day where there would be other ramifications. You say, oh, I, what about his mom? I, I, how is she doing? Is, is she on her way here? Is she at the hospital? Has, has anybody told so-and-so in the family? Do they know about this yet? A couple hours later, you're there at the hospital and you're talking with family and you go, oh my goodness, we, we have that trip this weekend. We need, to, we need to cancel that. We need to change our plans for this weekend because we're going to be here to be near our family member while they're sick. A couple of days go by and you think about, oh, I wonder if anybody has thought about this responsibility that this person has and this thing that they do. Let's take care of that for them so they don't have to worry about it, right? And it's, there is this initial thing that happened. There's this initial event or this initial fact, but then there are all these ramifications that come. And when we come to know Jesus and His gospel, there's the initial truth that we are forgiven and we're given His righteousness and He loves us, but throughout our lives there are new ramifications. How does this affect the way that I act at work? How does this affect the way that I deal with my family? How does this affect the way that I deal with that really troublesome neighbor? How does this affect the way that I'm going to serve at my church? How does this affect the way that I'm going to spend my retirement? On and on and on it goes. And this initial truth of Jesus has ramifications throughout the rest of our lives. And so this means that if you've been walking for, with Jesus for eight days or for eight decades, there is some new application of the gospel that can take place in your heart and life. And you can come and worship with us on a Sunday morning and sing about Jesus' love 
for you and realize it in a fresh and new way, how it comes to bear in the life and the situation and the adversity that you're currently in the middle of. And see, the Holy Spirit, He's like a guide that takes us into this gold mine of the gospel. And He says, isn't this amazing? Look at this. Isn't this beautiful? Look, look at all of that. But wait, there's more. Let me show you around this bend. You're not going to believe what's around the bend. And it never grows old. It never grows stale. Because there is always some new application, some new depth of Jesus' love for us, some new freedom that He wishes to bring in our hearts and lives, all of it centered, all of it upon the original basic truth of the gospel, knowing God the Father through Jesus the Son, Him taking our sin and giving us His righteousness, but we get to experience deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper depths of this gold mine of the truth. And the Holy Spirit is like a guide who takes us by the hand and he says, man, God's done some really great stuff in your life over the last 30 years. But we just scratched the surface. And there's more. Let me show you. Let me show you. So if you're here, I want, I want you to think about, has there been that moment where you realize Jesus is good? And I'm not. Has there been that moment where you realize that you were in need of help and He's able to help? If that hasn't happened, that's what the Spirit wants to convince you of today. But if you've had that experience and you've come to know Jesus, you've come to know your own need of Him and experience His grace in your life, there is more that He wishes for you to experience a greater depth of joy in the face of whatever adversity that you're facing, whatever you're going through. And so whether you're a new Christian or you're on the last mile, there's still some guiding that the Spirit can do in your life. Jesus sent Him to comfort us by guiding us and helping us, showing us the way. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.